in those cases, it can become very addictive because they just want to learn on the video games. They just want to learn in the computer environment as opposed to going back to the old fashioned way of doing things. Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by LearningSuccessSystem.com. Hello and welcome to the Learning Success Podcast, where we learn to embrace your child's brilliance and unleash their true potential. Today we have a very interesting guest, Chelsea Brown. Chelsea has a bachelor's degree in computer information technology with an emphasis in networking and security from Brigham Young University from Idaho, and she holds an active CompTIA Security and Certification, the world's leading tech association. Uh, Chelsea can correct me if I mispronounce that. <laughs> Chelsea was named uh, as, a, as a woman changing the tech world today by global app testing and has been featured in various news outlets. Chelsea was a freshman in high school when her parents asked about what is now called sexting, cyberbullying, and the dangers of cyberspace. As a result of this and other painful experiences, she pursued an education in computer and internet security, which developed into a career in cybersecurity consulting. Chelsea has dedicated her life to learning everything about creating a safe virtual place for family business businesses to safely use technology. Chelsea founded Digital Mom Talk to help business owners and parents bridge the gap between the information online and practical steps to protect their interests at work and at home. Her goal is to help business owners and parents have the practical knowledge and actionable tech tools they need to raise kids and grow a thriving business safely in a digital world. Welcome, Chelsea, and thank you for coming on the show today. Oh, no problem. Thank you so much for having me, Phil. I'm excited to be here. Yes, this should be very interesting. So um, let's jump into um, some questions and, and to give a little outline of what we want to do today. We have like two big questions um, and we're going to go through the different aspects of it. But in parenting, really, there's the developmental aspect, what's appropriate for kids. And then there's the security aspect of avoiding danger. So wherever I ask questions, I'll try and differentiate and we'll, we'll try and keep that separate because I know it kind of jumps into the security because that's the scary part right <laughs> yeah and my approach with it is if we create a safe virtual playground for our kids where if we start with kind of what we know with technology then the development of our child should be able to thrive in that environment so it's I try and make it as small and bite-sized as possible without overwhelming parents and I try to show you where the fear is but how to correct it so that it's not overwhelming and like leaving you never wanting to use your electronics again. Yeah that that makes perfect sense so so the two go hand in hand then that's what you're saying. Absolutely. Okay very good so let's jump into I, I know everyone tends to loop to lump everything into screen time, but there's some very different, we've got a lot of different types of things going on. So let's kind of go one by one through the aspects and, and let's talk about developmental first, like how much is appropriate at different ages and that. So um, how about we stop, start with what I think is the most benign, but learning apps. Is that anything to consider there or? This is how I interpret learning apps is it's depending upon your child and also yourself. I have several friends who have kids with um, specific needs 
And for them, learning apps are very good for their kids. However, the majority of kids I work with that are like my children, when I give them too much of a learning app or any type of that, I've noticed a very, very um, addictive video game pattern kind of developed with them. And really? so like, for a lot of my kids, it kind of not necessarily slowed down their growth. It allowed them to have other complications. But for my friends who, you know, their kids were developmentally maybe slow with speech or having issues with like understanding different social search situations and learning their ABCs and things like that. These learning apps really helped them. Whereas for my kids, it kind of seemed to do the opposite. So for parents, I really tell them to pay attention to your child because what works for one kid isn't necessarily going to work for the other. And as far as time limits, it's really about learning what is affecting your child. I know that with my daughter, when she was very little, we noticed immediately that if she watched more than 30 minutes of anything with a screen, it didn't matter if we were Skyping our family, you know, 20 hours away, or if we were um, exploring a new app or watching an educational signing time show, whatever it was, if she got more than 20 minutes, she was just awful meltdowns, terrible behavior patterns, things like that. And so for us, we really limited that to just certain times and certain things throughout the day and really i limited it throughout the week whereas i have my middle son can go four or five hours before you start to see those effects on him so for parents i just say really gauge your child and kind of watch what is triggering their behavior okay so you've just actually covered quite a few subjects right there so let's break that, that down a little bit first you said uh detrimental effects from in, in kids that are um, neurotypical um, from learning apps. So I guess that makes sense because you see in some of the marketing of learning apps, hey, we're using gamification, we're using all the stuff that video games and, and those things are, are addictive, right? Yes. So I, I never considered that. What, what do you see there um, as far as addictive qualities and, and learning apps? And that almost sounds like, sounds like a good thing, but maybe not. Um, I think it depends on the way your child is being fueled. For my daughter specifically and my kids, because they don't really have problems with motivating themselves, when they get motivated in a game or an app, it allows them when they go outside of it, they get really frustrated in school because they're not able to maybe pass off their multiplication or addition facts as quickly as they want to. Or maybe when they're like with my daughter, when she has issues at school with kids getting to agree with her and in a video game, everybody follows what you're doing. Whereas at school, that's a totally different ball game. So you see these kinds of things where it comes out, maybe not as a bad thing because they're not suffering academically, but are they suffering socially? Or um, I've also seen several kids with behavioral actual problems where they'll come off and, is, and they can't turn the video game off. They always have to finish the next level. They can't progress fast enough and they're finishing the video games and they just want more and more and more. And as soon as you take it away, they have temper tantrums, they have outbursts, they are going through this whole neurological meltdown essentially because it's built them up so much and fed the proper techniques to actually increase because it's doing a reward system. So it's saying, here's your ABCs, you match them perfectly. Okay, now you get this reward, which is a sticker, whatever, and then the cycle repeats. And it's this, this positive habit loop that is constantly being bombarded. But when you take that away and they go to a school environment or things like that, it allows them to just not be able to dissociate that. And so in those cases, it can become very addictive because they just want to learn on the video games. They just want to learn in the computer environment as opposed to 
going back to the old fashioned way of doing things. That makes a lot of sense. That's a really, really interesting point. Um, with the, to your to your first point about the, I, I can remember back a long time ago when I used to do some coding and, and, and that I don't I don't do much of that anymore. But back in the day, I noticed a change in my own personality that on coding days, I was very much less tolerant of humans <laughs> because very much. when you put in code, it works like this exactly what you tell it to do. And humans don't act that way. And, and it's so I, I would actually for myself have coding days. And if I knew that I had to be social, I would just not do those on the same day or at least separate those within hours. So is that the sort of thing that you're talking about, about that? Yeah. And really kind of talking to our kids. A lot of what I see too is like, in the case of my son, this is a perfect example. I have a two-year-old who is obsessed with video games. Uh -huh. um, and we don't have any of the newer video games. We have a lot of really old school video games that are, you know, from the 80s and the 90s where they have the no control, like the controller that plugs in. Yeah. He, he's very addicted to those games and we don't ever let him play them. My mother-in-law does allow, allow him to use educational apps when she watches him a couple times a week. And I notice on those days when he plays the app for more than 20 minutes, she'll call me and she'll say, I don't understand why he's screaming and yelling and he's having a temper tantrum. And my first response and question to her is, has he ran outside yet? Has he mm -hmm. done these things? Because what happens with these kids is it builds up all of this energy and they have no way to communicate to you that, okay, I've had enough. It's kind of like, um, I remember as a kid, if we watched too much TV when we were sick, we'd start getting headaches. Mm -hmm. And we start having those, you know, things. It would be like when you read a book and your eyes would get really tired at night and your eyesight would start to hurt and things like that. Everything has these triggers that our body recognizes as I need to take a break. But as a child, when you're constantly stimulated in this state, it's really hard for them to say that. So in, when we sever that connection with their video games and stuff, a lot of that really just is them not knowing how to regulate their emotions. They are on such a high that they don't understand that. So as a parent, if we can take a step back and say, okay, what my child needs is to get the energy out and to get to a place where we can talk and reason with them, obviously depending on their age and things like that. And so doing things like making them go run outside or challenging that I've had my husband in the middle of talking to his teenage sons, he'll say, okay, we need to wrestle right now because he can see the aggression coming out as he's trying to pull them away from their homework assignments and their video games just re-engaging with our child. And even while they're watching television, I know I used to do this with my kids when they were really little and I would you know, let them watch like a Christmas movie or something and remind them periodically. I ask them questions all the time. It's the most annoying thing. That's why we don't go to movie theaters because I'll say, hey, what's going on in the movie? And, they'll, and I will pause it until they respond to disengage them so that they're disassociating enough so that they're doing it. So you can do it to where you've got like, you know, they only do certain things on certain days. But if we make sure that they're not totally engrossed in essentially their coding or their video games or their movies or their educational apps, if we make sure that we are disengaging them from that and incorporating the human aspect of there's more to this than just the cognitive reward side of it and the learning side that we're doing, instead of just memorizing these things, let's make sure that we can apply them outside of that. If we can do that, most of the time with the families and parents that I work with, they will see a change within two to three days. And it can be where 
maybe they cut back on screen time a little bit, but just starting to interact with their kids while they're doing screen time and interacting with them in a positive way mm -hmm. allows them to have that disassociation to where they're like, oh, I'm okay if I don't, you know, have too many video games or, you know what, mom's right, I need to take a break. But getting to that point can be very frustrating. So as a parent, if we can take this step back and say, how can I talk to my child? How is the best way to get them to kind of disassociate from this and essentially like to be around people? They'll really be able to come off of these screen time things so much better. And, and you see this a lot in schools and things where they're trying to get technology to be there. This is the struggle the teachers have because they can't always do this disassociation all the time with a large class. So it becomes really hard. And it's one of the reasons why a lot of teachers will talk to me about strategies that I have. And it's just the same principle of getting our kids to learn how to self-regulate, learning as parents how to help them self-regulate, but also understanding what they're going through and what is physically happening when they're watching these types of things, even if it is educational. Okay, and you're, so when you're getting them to disassociate, you, you mentioned two different ways, physical and asking questions. Are, are, would those be the two main? Yes, those are two techniques. main. For younger kids, those are two main ones. For older kids, a lot of the disassociation that I do is it's more like, because they're not always there, they'll be on social media or things. And so how do you get a child to disassociate from social media? The easiest way to do that is to say to them, hey, show me how to do this. And instead of just engaging them from the device and taking away what they're wanting to do, having yeah. them show you something, instead of prying into their friends and saying, oh, I saw you post this. It's, hey, I saw this person you follow said this, have you seen this? And inviting them over to your screen where you can share the interaction mm -hmm. allows you to have this conversation that you can pull the screen away from them instead of giving them their own device and kind of having them suck it into their face and disassociate from you. It's about putting the device down it's about making sure that you ask questions, engaging with them, and creating physical and mental boundaries as well, just kind of around those spaces so that they have an idea of, you know, acceptable behavior and unacceptable behavior. Okay times to use technology, times that it's not okay to use technology. Places to use it, places we don't use it. Those kinds of just physical and mental boundaries that we have that are allowing our kids to kind of do an emotional check and really learn those skills that as parents, we haven't really thought to teach our kids because it was so just taught to us growing up. It was very natural. You turn the TV off, okay, go outside and play for 30 hours. Okay, it's raining outside, we can watch a movie. Oh, now we're done crafting. We had very rigid things that showed us how to end things. And as teenagers and kids, they're not getting that as much. So it's just a matter of kind of showing them where to stop it, where to end it, and how to regulate what's going on. We need a good mix of things. And so that's an interesting point about the teachers having a difficulty with the, the um, regulating, um, I know back in, uh, I think it was 2004, 2005, I designed a, a program, we called it BreakPal, and it was a, basically, it was designed for office workers, get up from your desk and exercise, little three minute clips. And then I, I just recently discovered that brain breaks are the big thing now in schools, and which is essentially that's what our break pal system system was back then. I was just like 15 years too early, I think. So, <laughs> But uh, would that, is that something, the brain breaks that, that's popular? Is that it would be a, a useful tool for teachers then? Absolutely. Especially with um, a lot of these apps, they kind of focus on the memorize and regurgitate. And so for a lot of kids, they'll forget these skills if they don't build on them. 
So I know um, some of the things that I've seen at our school and different schools around the country is they'll, in these brain breaks, they'll have their kids engage in cognitive activities that increase their brain function. So they'll have them do like right to left and left to right. And it's meditation or like just giving them the opportunity to turn their brains off. I know my daughter's school does every day. They have like 10 minutes after they come in from lunch where they just don't watch, like they don't have a show come on or anything. They just get 10 minutes of silence. And they have like just the opportunity where they can put their head down on their desk and either take a little nap or they can work on some homework or just whatever they want to do to really help their brains kind of relax and just process that information that they're getting throughout the day because it's a lot for some kids. And with schools going longer periods of time, younger and younger, it's really easy for kids to get overwhelmed. So that's really a helpful tool for teachers and being able to do as much as you can. Physically, I've seen some of the new apps that I've seen come out are like, they'll have a picture on the screen and then the apps come with actual like card things where you will put things together that are physical. Those kinds of apps where you're engaging the real world as well as the digital world allow your allow the brain to do more than one thing. And so it helps them kind of process that information in a more realistic way, if that makes sense. It does. So you're talking more critical thinking skills rather than rote memory. Yes. Good. So that, uh, what you said, right to left and a little bit of med meditation, did you say? Yeah, some meditation, just kind of teaching them how to I've seen some teachers go into like emotion processing and helping just kids learn, okay, what am I feeling? Am I upset? Do I need a timeout? Um, I've always wondered if any was, anyone was capable of teaching kids meditation. So it sounds, <laughs> that's awesome, awesome. So it's all really, and you said right to left, so cross lateral motions, right? Yeah. Um, which is actually my specialty. Uh, we, uh, which is how we got into the learning development field is that um, so cross lateral no motions have been you know at least thought to be beneficial to to the brain for quite a long time and the early programs were like the brain gym and uh, uh, diane craft and things like that and so um i'm uh, i've been teaching kung fu for 30 years and in the particular kung fu that we teach we have proprioceptive motions that have three cross lateral motions at one time I guarantee there's nothing out there that does three. Most of them are one, right? And so, um, so we noticed a big changes. It, what what happened was that a, a, an elementary school teacher sent us after coming in and enrolling his daughter in our school. He sent us, I think, every ADHD, dyslexic, dyscalculic, dysgraphia kid into our classroom, and we had about sixty of them in the classroom at one time which created this lab for us, you know, we didn't know, we didn't know, we were just like, and then, but what happened is parents are like, hey, my kid's doing better in school. I'm like, great, but it happened like every day. And that's how we discovered this, um, the, the, the effectiveness of those cross lateral motions in developing proprioception. So it's exciting for me, for you to say that teachers are doing cross lateral and meditation, which is another form of mind body as well. So that's excellent. <laughs> um, so the the sticking on the apps here so you mentioned that that they're getting kind of addicted to the you know we learn through um and we develop a love of learning through those dopamine hits right mm -hmm. that and that's what these apps are doing the learning apps and what you i heard you say is is that they're not getting those dopamine hits in real life correct 
Not in the same way. So it goes with positive interactions with kids. And honestly, about 95 to 98% of the positive things that our kids do, like following directions, making sure that they turn in their homework on time, things like that, we don't acknowledge. Right. And even, you know, we don't positively enforce them. We don't pat them on the back or touch them on the shoulder or give them a hug and say, you know, here's a high five, good job. We, we just say, okay, you're not doing your this right now that I need you to do. And so we constantly reinforce this negative behavior. And so for a lot of kids, we're seeing that because they're not getting these positive feedback loops directly recognized to them that it is a lot more addictive to just hit that. That's one of the reasons why, especially with teenagers, when they start getting into these social media things, there's a new one called, um, I can't remember the technical term, but it's if they're sad, they'll go on and they'll post a really sad post and pitiful picture to get likes. So they'll instantaneously feel good about themselves and repress that instead of dealing with, well, why am I feeling sad? What is going on? Do I need more time and attention from mom? It's almost like going back into the old days where I remember my parents growing up, it was if you, you know, if your kid was misbehaving or things like that, that was, you were a bad parent and you just needed to discipline it. And your kid, the more you discipline them, the more they acted out, the more you had these rebellious teenagers come out and you're seeing that less and less with parents. And it's more of they're hiding things because they want these instant dopamine hits. So if we can focus on giving our kids and all it takes is eight positive interactions to counteract a negative interaction. So they say you look at your child and you're like, I need you to do your homework right now. You know, instead of going that and going, okay, I messed up. Now what do I do? All you have to do is say, you know, I really appreciate you listening to me. I'm so, I, I love that you've done this and just constantly reinforce them with both words and then simple deeds, like touching them on the back and, and patting them and saying, good job and walking away or giving them a hug and saying, I love you. Just little things like that. All they have to do is just do that eight times and it'll counteract that negative experience that they've had. And so if we can do that, it will help counteract these addictions and things that they're doing because that's why kids go for these kinds of things is it's very addictive because we're not feeling it in another area of our lives. Right. So it seems like in, in today's world that this is far more important than it ever was. I mean, that's always been important, but far more important because they can easily get really quick dopamine hits from those games and we've, we've got to compete. Yes. Yeah, so it would also seem that that would be really easy to cut if they are accustomed to getting those those dopamine hits in the game. That that really easy to become have attention problems elsewhere. Absolutely, they're not getting the, the comparison amount of about the. I know it's not the amount of dopamine. Dopamine, it's the frequency. It's the frequency and also the pattern as well. If you think about it, um, one of the things that my daughter finds really effective in her school is they've got you know the color-coded charts. And when I was a kid, we had green and that was it. There was nothing beyond, okay, you did a good job. Whereas hers is now they have ones beyond good. So everybody starts off good and you either go bad or you get better. And mm -hmm. so her school has really focused on that the past couple years. And honestly, I've noticed a huge behavioral change her as far as like her behavior at school because if she had a teacher that wasn't recognizing her I could tell because she would come home with really bad reports and I would go and talk to the teacher and say look I know this sounds dumb but if you just look at my daughter every once in a while and give her a thumbs up throughout the day when you see her doing something good you'll see mm -hmm. and the teachers would come back to me and be like I can't believe the difference in your daughter and I'm like she just needs that positive reassurance that she's seen she's heard and she's doing a good job and I understand that's hard with 25 kids 
But for her, that's the easiest thing to do is just look at her and be like, good job. I got you. Mm -hmm. I see you. I may not be able to fully give you 110% of the attention, but I can just do that one little positive thing. And for her, it made a big difference. And at home, if we can do that with our kids, that makes them, my kids, if you give them a choice between watching a movie or playing a game with mom and dad, nine times out of 10, they'll choose the game with mom and dad over. Uh And so those are the kinds of things that as parents, we kind of want to look for. Not because video games are terrible, but because we want our kids to recognize that the relationship and the positive reinforcement they get from us is worth more than the points they get on the video game. Yes, that sounds very, very important. Interesting. So yeah, I've, I've actually seen kids that when you did that, the good job or something, they'd look behind them because they were so unaccustomed to getting into that they were confused as to who you're looking you're looking right in their face and saying good job you did this great and it took a lot of convincing for them to believe that we were talking about them so um that's kind of um i don't know that's a little scary but anyway um so let's jump to video then um developmental as uh, far as movies youtube um and that's about how much time and and that sort of thing for for age groups? For me, I really think it depends upon your child. I don't believe that kids should sit in front of a television all day, every day, but Mm -hmm. I don't think there's anything wrong with maybe, you know, your kids watching a two hour video. I know my toddler, 30 minutes is his max. He he won't sit still for more than 30 minutes at a time. And so we really limit the television in our home. Whereas like my teenagers, we can watch, you know, four or five episodes of a show and binge watched five or six. Um, But I look at it as when does it start affecting our relationship? Because I think that's a lot better tool than to measure the amount of time. Because again, what works for one kid, I know I've got several that have um, in my family Asperger's and autism and they're on that um, slightly neurologically challenged scale. certain things, it's, it's so much easier for them. They want to be kind of, my cousin will tell it, she's like, I want my alone bubble. Mm-hmm. So she will really, you know, she wants to be able to go and kind of physically disconnect herself. And so for her going into a room and watching two or three hours of TV is what she needs to decompress. Whereas that's maybe not healthy, but for her, that's her version of healthy. Mm-hmm. She kind of decompresses and processes through things and it's no different than somebody coming in and coloring. So for our kids, we have to pay attention to not the amount of time that they're getting, but maybe the quality of television that they are getting and what they are watching. Okay. So looking at it as opposed to what are they watching and how much are they watching is what they're watching contributing to their stuff. I know I've seen a lot um, when I go in and talk to parents and things, they'll ask me, why is my child behaving terribly? And I will say, well, what are the television shows that they're watching? Mm-hmm. And if we start analyzing the shows that they're watching, there's no strong adult presence or the men in the adult show tend to be really, really dumb. Or the parents, I, I remember watching my, my brothers had a television show come out and I remember looking at them and I turned it off and I said, do you really think mom and dad are that stupid? And they looked at me and they're like, of course they are. And I was like, yeah, yeah. you wrong right now. And we've had discussions like that. And so looking at what are they saying in the shows? What kind of body language are they committing to? What kind of actions are they doing? Are they committing to our values? Watching the kind of content that our kids watch will translate into what they do. I know for our family, we do our TV, our TV days are Saturday morning and Sunday morning. 
Those are the only two days that my kids can kind of get up. They get a bowl of cereal and they know they can watch two or three hours of TV before mom and dad get up. Mm -hmm. But they know that they're restricted to three types of television shows. So on Sundays, they have a certain show that they can watch and we'll set up, it's called Babar, or we'll turn on um, Little Einsteins or something like that, where these shows have very positive, prominent parental figures. They have very positive, prominent things. And you'll see like the show that I love, Babar, is one of the things that my husband and I are like, if they were to ask us to watch it just about any time, we would probably allow it because he will have kids be jerks to his face and like throw things in his face. And he responds with strict kindness. He doesn't mm -hmm. have to be happy about it, but he's always very polite and very um, strategic in the way he does it. And I've seen those behaviors amplified in my kids and they start acting those things out and they'll start having those arguments. Whereas if they're watching something more violent like PJ Masks or um, uh, rescue riders or things like that, they tend to exhibit those more dominant features where they're more selfish, they're more not able to problem solve and they can't work through things and they're fighting a lot more and there's not as much peace because that's what they're seeing in those shows is they're seeing this constant struggle of conflict that isn't ever really resolved. There isn't any parental involvement or influence and things like that. So paying attention to what our kids are doing, what they're watching, how they're saying it is those subliminal messages. That's one of the reasons why I have a lot of parents ask me about filtering YouTube, because that's one of the things that they love is, you know, they can go on there and things. And with YouTube, you've seen those subliminal messages come through where they talk about doing harmful things to your kids. The reason they put those messages in is because after so many times, it does register to your child. Wait, so, wait, which messages are you are talking about? So I don't know if there's kids present for this show, so I wanted to kind of keep it down, but there's um, subliminal messages for things. It's called, one of them was Momo um, several months ago where it was um, this scary face that was talking about going to kill yourself and she was a monster in the room and things like that. Um, so uh, a couple years ago, there was one called Blue Whale. And now they're seeing a lot more, especially with YouTube kids and they're trying to filter it out. They're seeing people come on and they'll go onto a children's channel 40 50 videos in and then they'll start throwing in scenes of immorality and stuff right into their cartoons how are they getting this in youtube runs on the honor system so if i mark it as appropriate right has no way to say that it isn't appropriate and when they get 40 i think it's 40,000 video uploads every minute yeah yeah but That's what a lot of content to filter Sure, I'm not talking, but but it seems to me that that would be, that if if somebody's running a successful kids YouTube channel, that why would they destroy that channel by putting something like it, that in? It just doesn't seem it's, in their best interests. Well, it's suggestive content, but also if their channel gets shut down, I still have all those videos. I can recreate it in two days. Okay. So but what what is the benefit to them? Why are I mean, what's the motivation for those? You, What's that? With YouTube, you make money off of advertising. That's yeah. how you make money. And so for them, if they're getting paid eight to nine hundred dollars for that to run that video once. Oh, they're getting paid from somebody else. Sometimes they are. Sometimes they aren't. It just depends. Most of them are run by the porn industry and things like that. And so just watching these types of things. That's why I tell parents, screen the videos yourself first. Go through their stuff. Make sure you disable their links. Um, YouTube Kids has got a really good crackdown on it, but when you get onto like the computer and things like that, not having a good filter can really inhibit those types of things because these subliminal messages that they're sending our children really mm -hmm. show what they're doing. And a lot of parents 
we'll have them watch it and two or three episodes we think the series is fine but it's usually 10 or 12 episodes in that they start to go downhill kind of like with a normal television show the first episode is the one to catch your attention they keep everything really mild for season one season yeah kind of mild and then three they slap you with the really really whoa oh my gosh that's kind of adult stuff that you're not really sure but you're so into the show that it's oh we don't really care oh oh it's okay i'll fast forward through that part or things like that and that's where they get our kids because our kids are doing the same thing but because they don't have that training mm -hmm. they're not kind of boiling a frog then right yep wow wow i, I had no idea that existed even um, so going back to the TV shows, just to, to summarize that, it's, you're really looking at, are those characters role models? Yes. If that, that makes perfect sense and how important that is, they, they're going to, they're going to emulate that, which you, you're seeing. Okay. So, um, let's go to then time on social media, um, and not the messaging, but just like Facebook and that sort of thing. Is that, um, appropriate how much is appropriate is it appropriate okay so i'm gonna step on my teenage soapbox for a second because i have a lot of teenagers that message me and they'll give me requests because they love social media sure social media is two parts it's their their version of a diary and a journal like from when we grew up and we would okay. notes and things that's that's what social media is to them so that's the only way they really talk to their friends is that healthy probably not but that's their day and age. There's a lot of things too, where it's like, I know teachers in high school and middle school, they will literally tell everybody, okay, you all need Twitter because I am going to just post your homework on Twitter because they know that's the easiest way that their kids are gonna pay attention to that. And mm -hmm. But when you look into kind of those different things about is Twitter appropriate, things like that, Twitter's only approved for 17 and up, you know, they, they don't really disclose all that. So teachers are struggling with trying to communicate to our kids. So with social media, the thing that I tell parents is look into your actual, like there's state laws about child privacy and then there's federal laws. The federal laws say 13 and up. You can't have any type of social media or even an email account before the age of 13. And I always tell parents to start with something small and then work your way up to the app that your kid wants. And okay. have them kind of essentially do the training well thing. So a lot of kids that come to me, they'll say, well, I want Instagram and and whatever and i say well tell me what you're going to post on instagram mm -hmm. well i don't know well if you don't know then that's a problem because if you don't know how you're going to use that then i have an issue with that because what happens if somebody takes over your account and they post something appropriate how do i know it wasn't you okay i see your point uh -huh. and so we have these conversations about okay how do you know about a stranger talk to me about what you would do if somebody contacted you that you didn't know or that they said they were from your class you have a secret code word that only you and your friend know that lets you know that you're talking to the person you're talking to. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now talk to me about your privacy settings. Do you know about location settings? Do you know about this? Do you know about how to turn certain things off so people can't contact you? Talk to me about if something somebody says something mean. And we break down these conversations so that they have a full understanding of what they're getting into with social media. This is a lot of the struggles for parents is because they're concerned about, you know, how much time should my teenager spend on social media? Up until just a few months ago, social media was like the worst thing for kids. But a BYU professor, I cannot remember her last name, um, Sarah, just released a study 
where she was even shocked with the results. And they found after their study of about six years, I think is what they did, that what you do with social media determines if you're going to have a positive experience or a negative experience. They, they found in this study that the kids and people who didn't interact with positive things, who just scrolled and occasionally liked on things, they didn't comment, they got on there when they weren't feeling good, were more likely to have anxiety and depression and really have a negative experience. Mm-hmm. Whereas the people that got on social media and liked and commented on their friends, messaged them back and posted things that were exciting and happy in their lives, they had a very positive experience with social media. And it was actually the opposite effect. It made them feel more uplifted and invigorated and kind of gave them this renewed sense of life where they could walk away from it. Interesting. Yes, very interesting so, study, especially yeah. because everything up until this point has been that social media is terrible. It increases anxiety, depression, it's linked to lots of addictions and things, and we're seeing so many issues with these kids. But this study proved that it's not the kids, it's what they're doing on the app. So if we can direct our kids to use an app correctly and properly for good intentions, they're going to have a much better experience on it, even if they encounter something bad. So when is uh, How to Use Social Media 101 coming to elementary schools then? (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, but it would be a very interesting thing to just kind of talk about it and really focus that on kids and really focus on having them understand the concept of a digital stranger. That was something that when we um, taught a group of teenagers, like they had no concept of that. They looked just Uh like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, well, you know, the creepy homeless guy in the corner, if he starts walking towards you and every one of them said, oh, we're going to run the other way because we know he's not necessarily a safe person. He kind of makes us feel awkward, whatever. I said, okay, so what if that creepy homeless person walks up to you on Facebook? How do you know it's him? Mm-hmm. And they had like this mind blowing, what do you mean? You know, and so then we talked about strangers. We talked about how to recognize and use our feelings because there's always a warning that comes when we use social media. There's always that thing and talking to them about, okay, well, what are boundaries that you want to set? How do you want to keep yourself safe? Cause I can do everything, but you and I both know you can hack it. You and sure. I both know there's 12 different ways around it. I can lock your phone down so you can't have Instagram. You can walk 12 steps to your friend's cell phone and she can set up your Instagram account for you. Right. Right. But we talked about these different things and when we have these kids and we don't set the boundaries for them, we ask them and say, how are you going to get it and how are you going to use it safely? They really get the picture. And a lot of them will start looking at it and being like, you know, I hadn't thought about that. I didn't know you could do that. I wasn't mm-hmm. aware that that was a problem. And so when you break it down for them and you say, well, I'm not going to tell you because you want this. It's like learning to drive. You figure out how to drive it and then you come tell me how we're going to fix it. Right, right, and yeah. And then just have the car keys and going up. We start with the training wall. So I tell parents to start with something small like, Maybe FaceTime, Marco Polo is a good one. Prism's a really good app to have kids start with. It's kind of a combination of the original Facebook plus the original Instagram plus the original Pinterest. That's what I was going to ask. So there are essentially training wheels apps before before you're released into the the wild world of social media. Absolutely. I I really, really prefer for parents to start on Prism. Prism is an app that it's not sponsored or affiliated with me in any way. I just really like the ideas behind it. There's no likes on it. You are not allowed to send messages. You have a really good filtered screen. And so for kids, it's a really good training app for parents to kind of get them on and put all their friends on it. 
and mm -hmm. have a communicating and say, okay, after so many months, maybe we can test out something like Marco Polo, which is a video FaceTiming app um, where they can just record videos and send them back and forth. And then you can progress and just have your child pick the apps that they want the most. What is, what's better than uh, with Marco Polo than, is it WeChat? I, I don't use that one, but is that, is that the popular? Or Snapchat, Snapchat, sorry. So Snapchat, I don't personally endorse Snapchat at all just because it was designed to sex. It was designed yeah. to send inappropriate things back and forth. And for a lot of my teenagers that I know that use it, we have lots of privacy issues. That's where it is as far as like the law enforcement side, there's a lot of tracking and most kids on that are just very naive because they have this idea that if I put it on Snapchat, it's deleted. Sure. I've proven to multiple times to multiple different kids, that's not the case. And when they think that you can't track their location, that you can't find pornography, that they're not gonna be susceptible to it. I've seen a lot of kids say, you know, if I had never gotten Snapchat, I wouldn't have been exposed to those things. So um, who can track their location? Um, Almost any app today actually has an option to track your friends. Sure, sure, but but how? I mean, is that something that can be hacked into? At at you know, at what level, hacker level, would it take to get in to do that? Not even that hard. All it has to be is friends of friends. It kind of works on the same type of Facebook internet. So, okay. um, I did this just a few days ago in a consultation where we were talking to the daughter about Snapchat, and so I pulled her up and I said, "Okay, so we're not friends, right?" She's like, "Nope." I said, "The C." Your friend gave me your handle. And so I looked her up and I could see her location. Mm -hmm. And she kind of looked at me. She's like, that's really creepy. I said, yes, yes it is. So turn your location off. Don't let your friends find you in Snapchat. There's ways to make those kinds of apps more private. And it's not even hacking. It's just the fact that we have to have the ability to teach our kids when you should turn it on and when you should have it off. Yeah, yeah. I um, admittedly tracked my wife and I, our daughter, when she wasn't, was where she wasn't supposed to be. And so she's very private on social media because of us. <laughs> not a bad thing. Not a no, bad thing. no, she's not. She's, she's very private because we've got her. Um, we also have had the experience, we teach once a year, um, or my wife does, a realtor safety training. Half of that training is self-defense, how to fight your way out of a situation. The other set half is, is this sort of thing. And so I, I've seen the looks on people's face when she's, she's explaining to them, you know, you're going to a vacant house wearing high heels and a, high, and, a, and, a, and a short skirt and nobody knows where you're going and you don't know the person you're meeting there. Um, duh, you know, <laughs> but yeah. uh, so how do you check these things out? How do you do that? And the realizations of how much danger they're putting themselves in and, and realtors are very prone to this. We've had, we've, we've had, there was a murder, uh, it was a few years back, and then an abduction not too long ago. So, I mean, it's happening. I don't, I don't know how blown out that is. But they, they are putting themselves out in very dangerous situations. And then I see the parallel right here, what you're talking about. Absolutely. And the difference is, it's just that we don't think of that danger. Because when I grew up, when you grew up, we were taught things like, don't go up to the guy with the puppy dog alone in the park. Sure. Don't, take don't take candy from the stranger. My mom was very adamant of, if somebody approaches you in a van, run the other way. Right. Like, my mom was very specific about those kind of things. So that was one of her fears. Yeah. She was always afraid of that thing. Whereas now as parents, we give our children a cell phone and I have a lot of parents that talk to me and they're like, 
I would have never thought that somebody evil could have talked to my kid through their friend. And I'm like, a lot of these criminals, they're using their friends. And so it's a matter of you have to talk to their friends and get to know their friends and, and talk to them about being safe. That's why right. I tell parents, if you focus on creating this safe virtual playground, and it's not telling your kid no, it's asking them, well, what are the dangers? What okay. are you going to do? Where are you going to play? It's no different than if they want to go 20 feet away to the park that's across right. the street, right? Okay, well, where are you going? Who are you going with? What are you going to do there? Same concept with social media. But the difference is it's got to be a little bit more gradual process. Mm -hmm. Once they come to you with the plan, then you got to come in with your adult eyes and say, okay, your plan looks great. Now let's poke the holes in it and show you where the dangers are that you're not seeing, that I see as an adult with the experience. And now let's come up with something that you and I can agree to work for that builds our trust, mm -hmm. that helps you when you screw up because you are going to screw up. You're a child. That's life. Sure. And how to make sure that that trust isn't broken and is able to be repaired when you do screw up. Because right. that's something that as parents, we kind of overlook in these situations. And with social media, it's so important for kids to be able to have that today in their minds. They, mm -hmm. For them, it's like passing notes. It's like getting a telephone call and being able to talk 48 hours uninterrupted to their best friend. Sure. That's how they view it in our terms. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's not like it was in our day. You could pass a note and the odds of it getting passed to more than one person, opening it and reading it, were pretty slim if you did it the right way. Sure. There was always that risk, but really, truly, honestly, it really only came in the cases of really crazy breakups or really, really bad gossip circles. You can't have infinite copies of it then, huh? Right, not infinite <laughs> copies. And it wasn't permanent. Right. It wasn't permanent. What our kids do now on social media is very permanent. As soon as they start to realize those things, and as soon as they start to really understand how to protect their privacy and how mm -hmm. to keep that diary kind of locked up tight, and they understand that as mom and dad, we don't really want to go through their diary. We just want to help them keep it private from people who would use it against them. Yeah. They're a little bit more on board with it. They still don't like it. But if they know that we're going to sit down with them and go through their app and say, okay, show me your privacy settings. Show me what you posted today. Show me, I noticed you followed a new friend. Can you tell me about that friend? What mm -hmm. do you think about them? Just these little conversations, not accusatory, not breaking into their stuff, not looking at it when they're asleep, where we have time to think about all the bad situations that happen. Let them explain to us what happens. These are the kinds of things that really allow our kids to have that freedom that they need so that they can trust us, but we can also trust that they're learning the correct things that they need to in order to be safe. Right. I would uh, imagine, I mean, I'm getting a, an education here and I would, and I'm pretty tech savvy for my age, but most parents didn't grow up with this. They don't know where the, the dangers lurk, right? No. That's uh, so it seems it's really got to start with the parents and educating themselves and having a checklist of, of all the possible, right? Yeah. And you can, you can always go down a rabbit hole. My husband and I, we call it Venus and Mars. He lives on Mars where he knows the bad stuff exists, but he's of the mindset it's never going to happen. And mm -hmm. I live on Venus where the dark stuff happens to me every single day when I go into homes. And so everything is bad. We're going to burn technology that's never going to come into my house. Yeah, yeah. My wife and I are the same. <laughs> yeah, neither of those extremes work. So we have to create Earth, which is what will work for us. Uh huh. 
and what will work for our children and what will be conducive to both of us. That's where you can come up with compromises. Like our compromise with video games was they don't connect to the internet. So my husband got excited because he got to go and purchase all of his nostalgia video games from the 80s and 90s. And he's so excited to introduce it to our kids when they become about 10 or 11. So they can have that kind of retro thing with their dad. And for me, I'm like, I'm okay with that. If it doesn't connect to the internet, we'll approach that bridge when they're 18 and I can understand that they're gonna be responsible for their own internet access. Do you have a smart child who is struggling in school? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you feel like the struggle is holding your child back from their true potential? Maybe the anxiety and worry over your child's future just beats you down every day. You don't have to live that way. Learn how to stop a learning disability from becoming a life disability. A child with a learning disability is stressful for the child and the parent. The disability may be eroding their confidence and shattering their self-esteem. Other people may perceive your child as unintelligent and antisocial. If not addressed and fixed early, the child may develop permanent challenges later in life when looking for a good job or meeting a potential spouse. Our current school system does not know how to properly help our children, but at Learning Success, we do. We've created a system you can easily do at home with your child. And with just 15 minutes per day after school with your child, you can save them from a life of struggle and heartbreak. Learn how to unleash your child's potential and embrace their true intelligence. As a special gift for being a loyal podcast listener, we're going to give you a free trial of the Learning Success System. Try it out absolutely free for 15 days. If it is not the perfect fit to help your child succeed in school and in life, just cancel before the trial ends and pay nothing. You even get to keep the free bonuses. Go to www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast to get your free trial now. You'll be so happy you did once you see the great grades your child is capable of getting. Imagine being so proud of your child when they bring home a great report card and hand it over with a beaming smile. Get your free trial now at www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast. You've got nothing to lose except the stress and anxiety that is holding you and your child down. I'll see you there. jump back to messaging apps because I know that's a really important subject that has grown in popularity even more so I know in Asia it's it's more popular than social media and it's happening here as well um, where uh, what are the I, I, I know you said you're not a favor of, of snapchat and that's pretty obvious why what, what are the safe ones what it's not what, what are the things to think about with messaging apps with messaging apps, it's not about what's safe and what's not safe. It's about who can access your child okay. and making them private. One of the ones that I really like the security features of is TikTok. Granted, TikTok isn't foolproof and it's not based in the US, it's based in Asia, but their privacy settings are some of the best I've seen in an app. They actually, really? where the parents can create an, an account where they lock the child out after so many hours, 
they can put on privacy filters. You can make it so that unless your child is friends with that person, that no one else can see them, no one else can friend request them, no one else can search them. Those are the kinds of things that I look for when I'm looking for an app. Instagram used to have features where when you made the account private that you couldn't even request messages. They recently took that feature away, which I don't agree with. Mm -hmm. And so it's just a matter of looking at these things to understand to kind of with what our kids are doing and what they're being able to access. I know um, WhatsApp is something that's really popular with my kids. Um, and it's just a text messaging app where they can send pictures and things and it's not as restricted. But what we're wanting to look for is who's part of that group? What cell phone numbers are they using to that group? How are they texting? And kind of talking to them again about this whole idea of stranger privacy. Because I know my sister growing up had an experience, and granted this is before iPhones were even out, she had a friend three-way, another friend, thought she was having a one-way conversation with the middle girl, found out she poured her heart out and told her whole story to like 14 girls. Oh, wow. At a sleepover. And that reality is not just painful and hurtful in that instance where it's just a phone call, but now we have it to where it could be in a text message and you could be texting your, who you think is your best friend and telling her about your awesome date or whatever. And in reality, it's the guy that you liked and he's just playing you along and he's like putting it up on his chalkboard or whatever and things like that. So there's a lot of things where we're talking to our kids. It's I call it the pinch test. We want to make sure that they get the app open, they see the person, they watch over their shoulders, they enter in the number and they verify that that is them. And they have these code words where they say, okay, it's applesauce day. And your friend has a response that they have to say to you in order to know what that is. And you can right. text messages and it's a different phrase every day, different things like that. Uh -huh. The things that we're really looking for with our kids to make sure that they understand these messaging apps and the complications that come with it and what they're getting into. Cause it's uh -huh. not, about what they can do, but also about what can be discovered. I know Facebook has privacy settings where even if your account is private, it can still be searched by Google unless you go in and turn that off. Oh, is it indexed? I thought Facebook was not indexed. No, Facebook is totally indexed. They are a part of their lawsuit and um, thing that they got really big trouble was because they were indexing stuff and they had not notified anybody. And they've been doing it for years. Really? Okay. Yeah, a lot of information I've seen, um, a lot of my friends will ask me, how come my baby's information is up there? My baby's three days old and it's on this lookup site. And I'm like, oh, did you post it to Facebook? Yeah, but I have a private account. Uh-uh, did you, you didn't index it? Index. So now you're out there and your child now can have identity theft. Wow. There's a lot of things that we have to be aware of because privacy, these companies aren't doing it. They're literally selling personal information like that billions of dollars yeah that's a subject i want to jump to here pretty soon <laughs> um but let's cover the let's stay on the on the on the apps and that for now because that's a whole new that's a whole nother <laughs> ball of wax right there um the so it's interesting to me that you say tiktok is is great i i actually you have been using that one a little bit myself just because it looks a lot like an old one that was um, one of the early apps, which was called Vine. I don't remember. If I remember Vine. Yeah, TikTok is just like it, and Vine died. I was so sad. It was so sad. It was a cool one, but we, but TikTok is the same. But I noticed TikTok is amazingly addictive because it's just those quick. So um, it's very cool, but man, you can waste a lot of time on TikTok. You have a screen time feature built in that you can turn on. Oh, really? 
Yes, and they have it set up to where it's a passcode protected. So it's not like Instagram. Instagram has a feature where it'll alert you and say, mm -hmm. hey, you get your hour mark, but you can just click it away. TikTok has it to where as a parent, if you go in, you can set that up and it's got a pin. And so you enter in a pin that isn't uh -huh. your birthday or something like complicated. And you can limit the amount of time that your kid spends on that app. I need to do that to myself and throw away the pin, I think. <laughs> Yeah, it's something that I think is really important and especially because it is Asian based and they're, it's run by an Asian company. It's a lot more looking into those things. So as long as you're not posting, you know, like surf very private information like passwords and things, it can be something that you can do for fun. I know a lot of my teenagers, they're like, you just like to get on and watch the videos because they're just, they're so different. You know, mm -hmm. they're, they're not normal YouTube videos where they're going on and the tech very stacking like Right. Or yeah. Or packages or it's like, Oh, here's a tour of my room. They're different videos. They're, they're pranks. They're um, challenges. They're different. You know, like I've seen kindness service things like that. They're demonstrations, and they're they are a lot of demonstrations I've seen. So it's just a matter of our kids doing that, and it's predicted to be one of become one of the most popular apps besides Instagram and Facebook. It's predicted to out surpass those two. Oh, it's growing massively fast, and so yeah, I've I've been encouraging some of my Kung Fu students to, to start posting on it um, because uh, it's, it's a great, I think as a discovery engine. Yes. Kids can learn about like, I'm looking at these like dance moves on it and then all of a sudden I'm interested in dance, you know, <laughs> like that's cool. It's like this discovery engine that you discover all these things that people can do in the world. So it, it's, it's cool in that, in that respect. Yes. So I can, I can understand it's, popularity i don't know why vine died so <laughs> vine was probably before its time I, I i think that's what it was there probably weren't enough content producers to really drive it because even even today um the number of content users versus uh content producers uh is still small on tiktok yes versus, versus its user base so let's jump into into video games and um just as far as time uh, with, with those and I, I would imagine your statements about role models are going to jump in and these because I know there's some really bad ones with video games for a lot of parents what I'm going to say is start slow and develop the patterns of behavior that's what we're doing in our house okay. so because um, a lot of the families that I work with are um, video game addict kids where they they will take away the video game controllers and their son will hack into the router and like, they're like, we have no idea how we got into those controls. And I'm like, well, you didn't password protect the router. So that's step number one. Mm -hmm. But these video games, the best way to do it is to develop a positive pattern. So the way video games work is they give the kid a problem. When they overcome that problem, they get a reward. And as soon as that happens, they get another thing. And so it's this positive habit loop repeated over and over again to feed right into the dopamine brains that constantly make them want to be rewarded. Mm -hmm. And when you're doing that, it is more addictive than anything else in the world because it is a natural substance. Men can't reproduce this. It's right. proven that it's more addictive than even actual painkillers. In fact, in certain studies, they've shown that with army guys where they were in so much pain, they would give them video games and have them play like Halo and stuff because the pain receptors that they could suppress get these games works. So when we understand this with our kids, video games are not evil. It's the game they're playing. 
because you have to notice in these studies they use specific video games they don't use every video uh-huh so what we're looking for when we look with video games is it is the gradual introduction and the way the video game is cycled so if we go to the old video games like from the 80s and 90s pac-man's the one that comes to my mind because i feel like everybody kind of knows that uh-huh pac-man you would literally start off with an easy level, but there was always a way to end it because what happened? You had to put the quarters in. So when you ran yeah. out of quarters, you right. ran out of time. <laughs> there was a physical limitation to how many times you could play Pac-Man. Uh -huh. With new video games, there's not that limitation. You can play it as long as you want and there's no physical cues or virtual cues to really show you that you're done. Even my husband doesn't really like some of the newer games coming out because he's like, they're not, there's no way to play them done. And you're starting to play them very separately. He doesn't like it because he played video games to interact with his friends. That's how they, they would all get together and they would play in the same room. You'd have the quad screen split. So you each had a little itty bitty, you know, depending on the size of your TV, you had a little square that you could barely see yourself in and you were trying to figure out which square you were, things like that. So instead of this togetherness, we're working with, isolation we're working against actual addictive behaviors because we want them to play it and we're also working with the online component which allows hackers to come in yeah so yeah, with okay. video games it's about choosing how you want to introduce them and how you want to manage them that's why i tell parents if you can get a video game and disconnect it from the internet 90 percent of video games before about 2000 and 13, I think, can be disconnected from the internet. Some of the newer ones can. I think Fortnite can still be disconnected from the internet, but they can't play live with their friends online. Mm -hmm. The problem with that is, is they're not always able to choose their friends online, who they get to play with. Sure. Sometimes they'll get like, my. I know my husband would hate it because he'd be like, I'd play with my two friends and we'd get four other guys thrown in that are dropping swear words every two minutes and he's got my toddlers in the room and he's like, I really don't want to play with this. Like, mm -hmm. I have to mute you guys and if I have to mute you guys, then that defeats the point of playing with my friends. Yeah, right. So for kids, it's about talking to them about being able to identify a stopping point, being able to identify how much they've had and being able to counteract those addictive behaviors which for a lot of kids, if they're playing the current video games, those video games are automatically programmed to be addicted. And they're a huge way in for pedophiles and things like that to come right in because they are just targeting it and they're eating it up. Right. I'm hearing a, a lot of parallels between like working with somebody who might drink too much. <laughs> same, it's all the same, right? Um, I, yeah, I was just looking up because a lot of what you're talking about, there was, are you familiar with Jane McConaughey? wrote a book called Reality is Broken. Yes. Yeah, she, that, that was fascinating to me because she's brought up a lot of the points about the addictive. She was the first PhD in gamification. And so she kind of started that, that whole thing. But, but she, one of the things she talks about is the amount of actual work being done. She calculated like how much work is being done in World of Warcraft to solve all these problems. And the number of human hours was just astronomical. Yeah. Because there is no stopping point, like you're saying. Right. And so she she's looks at ways of harnessing that in positive ways. And she had some really interesting um, game ideas that she had done ex run experiments. So that, that's some pretty cool stuff. Um, but it is, it's, it, it's alarming how many actual hours you could sink into that. And, and a uh, lot of kids, 
don't realize it because that's the way the video game is designed. It's designed to suck them into this alternate reality and make uh -huh. it so that they don't, they don't think about it. And sure. so parents, that's where our job comes in, where we have to kind of train them. That's why I tell parents to start with something that's like Pac-Man, where it has a physical indicator that the game is done. It has yeah. physical things that say, these are the cues and then replicate those cues as you introduce different games and do it as a trial and error basis mm -hmm. so that it's not um, a reward for doing their chores or things like that. Make it so that it's not, a, I know a lot of kids will use it as a relief for their frustration at like school or their professors or completing a project or things like that. It needs to be something that we kind of do almost like watching television or going to a Disneyland amusement park, Six Flags, things like that. We want to do it sparingly but not so sparingly that they're isolated right. and being able to hone in these skills that they're developing because it is, it does develop really great skills. It develops really good hand-eye coordination. It develops really good communication when you're dealing with different problem solving skills and things like that. There's a lot of really good potential. And especially, I know I had a mom approach me where she's like, my, my daughter loves Roblox because she's in a wheelchair and in Roblox, she's able to create and do things that she can't in her wheelchair. Uh -huh. And so for her, I looked at her and she's like, well, how do I keep it? I'm like, just pull it offline. If you can pull it offline, your daughter's safe from all these other things. And you can talk about to her about controlling things and then slowly adding things in when you are comfortable. But don't like in those cases, I don't feel like it's right to take it away from the child. Sure. They're, sure. they're doing these kinds of things. And if you're okay with that as a parent, it's about finding this balance in this sweet spot that works for you. And so if you're not okay with Fortnite, go with different games for your kids. There's lots of different opportunities and things they can do. Like Roblox is about building and doing things. Minecraft's another really one that they've got really great science projects and things coming out from kids with it or different things. And it's just about exploring what's out there with your child. And again, like social media, starting small and working your way up to it, you know? Pac-Man may be boring for your 10 year old, but I know that there's games like Mario Kart and Zelda and things like that that still exist that you can start with that have a physical endpoint where you can say, okay, you've completed a level, now we're going to stop. And when you regulate this behavior so well, then we can work on adding a different game that has more of what you're looking for and things right. like that. Right. So learning to regulate is, is key and interesting. Um, so going back to the video games and, and socialization. So I know it's really kids are so into socializing through the the role I guess role player games or, or multi um, uh, what are they called MOOCs uh, MOOCs no I'm thinking of something else where where there's multiple multiple players in, in there and they can actually talk and have video chat going on yeah um, I know that there's some kids I know that that's how they socialize what um, what do you think about that is that not as healthy socialization as health. I think it's kind of twofold. I think if you're really like a really shy kid and you're an introvert, it's a way for you to practice socialization. But eventually you have to kind of go out into the real world. And uh -huh. that way. One of the ways that we did that with our teenagers that we were teaching in our local church was my husband and I had game nights at our house and we told the boys one night we would have a video game night. And so we did. And he looked at me and he smiled because he knew we weren't allowed to bring out the Xbox. And so the guys were all excited because his kids thought that they were going to play the Xbox. He pulled out the old 
Sega. It had just come out from the, that had the original 1980s games on it from the original Sega that was released by Nintendo. Sure. And you should have seen these kids. They were mind blown. They'd never seen it before. Oh, really? They'd never seen it before. They'd never seen the game. The graphics were like, they're terrible compared to new video games. But they enjoyed it so much because they had to all sit in the same room together. They had to take turns, which they had never had to do before in an actual video game. They had to interact with each other in a completely different way and like show different things. And it was really fun to watch them experiment with a game in a totally different way. Mm-hmm. They had never done before because for them, everything was done on your personal computer at home and you were talking to your friend who's not there. You don't have you don't have to share. That's an interesting point. Yeah, and so having them come to this environment where they had to experiment, that's their favorite game. They asked us multiple times, "Can we do that again?" Can how old? That? How old were? What age group was this? These were kids that were aged from twelve up to I think sixteen was the oldest guy we had in the room. They wow. they loved it. They loved it, and it was funny. It was funny to them because we totally did not expect them to enjoy it. But they mm-hmm. enjoyed it almost more than their own video games they played at home. Wow, that's that's fantastic. That's yeah. Very very successful experiment there, huh? Yeah, and it it just happened by accident. So with parenting, that's where I tell parents find what works for you. Just because uh-huh. it's the latest and greatest doesn't mean. I, I a lot of kids, these kids got they were fascinated by it, and my husband has like twenty or thirty games. So after the saga, he's like, I got an old Nintendo, guys. And they're like, you mean like, the th-? and he's like, no. Like, see that? This one's four player. People <laughs> <laughs> are so excited because they could go to two, from two to four. And so right. so interesting to kind of watch their faces light up and watch them kind of experiment. Like, they could find places where the graphics didn't work. And where there uh-huh. was people. Or there was, like, my husband showed them some Easter eggs in the games where they could find these hidden levels. And they were like, this is really cool. Really? because it's just different. And so for them, it was really, really much of an experiment. So having your kids do that, I know for a lot of kids, LARPing, um, live action role playing, where they make their own costumes and they go and they act it out in the real world. Mm-hmm. Kids really love that. So if you're having issues with them, you know, what they're doing on the video game, see if they can get into LARPing and doing it with their friends and having them come over and having these, I've seen birthday parties where they've literally recreated Minecraft in the backyard. Really? Kids have so much fun doing that. Mm-hmm. It, video games and things, they're no different than anything else we use. I mean, you know, you have people that can drink a glass of wine every day and they're not an alcoholic. They can take it or leave it. You have yeah. other people that, you know, as soon as they have one whiff of a cigarette, whether or not they smoked it, they're addicted to it. Sure. So understanding these kinds of things that work and understanding that our kids are the same way, we can understand how to introduce them to our kids without it being detrimental to them and totally just annihilating them and being their Achilles heel. We can use it to their advantage and allow it to give them, I know for a lot of the nerdy kids in school, video games and socializing is a point where they can make friends what they never had before. And that's one of the glorious things about being able to do this is you can have them and if they've got friends all over the world, you can do that and I know that some of my kids have done where they've met kids from other places because they've met at a concert or they've met at a LARPing event or a Comic-Con or things like that. Mm -hmm. And that's something that we can encourage our kids to do, to have these relationships that aren't just superficial as far as the virtualization goes, but really allow it to go to the extra depth because it's 
easy to disconnect from reality and decide that you don't need reality anymore. Mm -hmm. so kids, if we can bring the virtual into the reality, it makes it so much more exciting for them. Right. Then they can see the robot applications. It's no different than I've seen a lot of kids building robots and doing things like that and coding it on the computer and then watching it come to life in the robots. Right. Getting them to do those kinds of things really helps them find that balance between this new digital age that we're facing, but also the problems that they're having with being able to socialize and do things that they love. Uh, so hence the name of Jane McConnell's book, The Reality is Broken. So she was talking about the reality is just not as fun, but you're saying use, it, use these as a stepping stone and it very much can be. Yeah. Excellent. Very good. Um, if a child is, uh, you know, when you, if you do have to take uh, something away, a lot of times there's a tantrum. What's, what's your best strategy there? <laughs> My best strategy for any child when they're having a temper tantrum, depending upon the age and what they're doing is I will take like if it's, if it's under the age of about seven to eight, I tell the parents, take the kids' hands in your hands and put your head to theirs and say, I understand. Okay. And just let them get it out. Because sometimes just that reassurance of you touching their hands and touching your head to theirs allows them to go, it's okay to feel this way. It's okay to know that I'm exploding. If they're more aggressive, usually about like, eight, 10 is where they kind of, um, when they have these temper tantrums, they get really aggressive and they start hitting things and doing things. That's where as the parent, I'm gonna say, start a pillow fight. And okay. just give them, give them a way to outlet that energy without destroying your home, without destroying those things, because that's what they're looking for. Because video games, especially in boys, they build up their testosterone. Sure. That testosterone triggers this fight or flight response. And in that case, most men, they're going to fight back. And they, mm -hmm. they will look at you in almost a blank rage because they have no idea what they're doing. They just know that they're angry and they have to get it out. Mm -hmm. So for them, that's where you can, if you can toss a pillow and start a pillow fight with them and you can wrestle with them or you can say, okay, we're going outside right now. We're going to go do 30 jumping jacks. We're going to do push-ups. We're going to go, you know, here's your um, punching bag. And we're going to go hit the punching bag. Whatever you can do to kind of allow them to get this aggression because trying to reason with your child at this point and tell them they're behaving irrationally, you don't like the way they're doing, all of these things, you're not communicating with their, their actual cognitive brain. You're communicating with their primal instincts. Yeah. And that's when you can't talk to. Right, right. Yeah. So yeah. as parents, if we can, instead of saying my child is having a temper tantrum, we can say my computer is malfunctioning. They are overloaded and they're going to blow up. Mm -hmm. Recognize that if we can give them an outlet when they're in the middle of that temper tantrum, it allows us to bring them back in and say, okay, now can we talk about what happened? Do you understand why this happened? Do you understand what's going on? Do you understand why you reacted that way? Then you can have that normal conversation once they've come down. Mm -hmm. them from getting to that state, a lot of times requires a lot of disconnect, especially uh -huh. if video games. So one of the things that I would do with like my brothers and stuff when they would play is I would be in the kitchen cooking dinner and I would not pause the game because you couldn't pause certain games, but I would call out to them and say, oh my gosh, I just saw you climb up that fence. Where did you go? Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they have to like think about it and respond because uh -huh. they're trying to play the game and they're trying to react to you. And so right. you repeat these questions and engage with them. 
and then you let them know as soon as you see that the round is over, you say, okay, we're done. The round is done, but I lost. Uh, we agree. I know you lost. Now we're going to go outside. And we're going to go blow off some steam because that was really frustrating, wasn't it? Yeah, it really sucked, man. Did you see it? He totally like blew me up. Out of yes, I get it, dude. Okay, now we're going to go outside. We're going to go beat the crap out of whatever it is that we're going to beat out of. Go jump on the trampoline, get our energy out. A lot of times when we can do this and we can empathize with them and kind of talk to them about what they're experiencing, it prevents them from having such an explosive meltdown that you can't control where you have to just get them to get the energy out, if that makes sense. It does. It does. I've seen, you mentioned play fighting a few times and I, I've, I've seen play fighting not only have immediate state changes, like immediate mental state changes, but really learning social skills through through play fighting. Um, you know, we used to, when I ran a Kung Fu school professionally for 20 years, and um, we the, the way we built our school, we did this intentionally. It was not the big windows in the front, seating for the parents and all that. This, the parents were basically kicked out. <laughs> if you don't trust us, you know, you can come peek through a crack once in a while, but we would let them go, I mean, just absolutely run amok. And it got crazy in there. Now we were a couple of people stationed around the corner, you know, watching very vigilantly for any danger, but we would not interfere unless, unless there was danger you know? and and there were scary moments where you're like oh you know but let them go but man they learned so much from play fighting with each other and so and it's actually i think that's a deep subject there's so much that they learn socially through it but let's not go there let's keep moving <laughs> um so you mentioned like youtube the the thing was shocking where they were they inadvertently being exposed to to some dangerous things um where else um like for i know like google has safe search is that um or and now um audio search is becoming a big thing yeah are, th are there dangers laying in, in wait in those uh my okay i'll tell you my favorite story ever we had just gotten a uh, amazon alexa Stop listening. Sorry, I think my Alexa's on, but um, <laughs> we've gotten one. And my daughter uh, asked this question, um, where do babies come from? And she immediately started to respond. And I unplugged that thing because she got to the reproductive system. And I'm like, that was my four-year-old, thanks. Really? So again, this wasn't the kid version. This was just the normal one. But understanding that no one thinks to filter these things. When we create these new tech things, we're experimenting with what we can do. We're experimenting with how it's going to improve our lives, but we're also experimenting with where the danger is going to come in. Mm -hmm. So when we create these products like smart homes, smart garages, these Google Assistant, Siri, things like that, we're not cognitively thinking about what danger is my child going to run into. Mm -hmm. We're thinking about how is this going to improve our lives? That's the development side. Now the hacker side of it is we're looking at that going, oh, you didn't put this, this, and this on, I'm going to exploit that. Sure. And so for parents, we really have to focus on these different things. I know image searching is something that parents really underlook, but I've had a lot of internet filters and parents get really mad. They're like, how are they finding this? I'm like, what was the last time you looked at their emojis? And they're like, what? And I was like, no, come here, bring me your phone. And I show the parents, I'm like, okay, hey, you see these two? That's an emoji combination. That's their top two. That's how they're looking at their porn. That's how they're finding this stuff is they will use images in their searches, like a Google, even safe search. And it, because it can't filter out those images and it will pull stuff up. 
Really? Yes. That's the challenge that a lot of these filters are having is they're trying to filter through images that how do you filter an image that takes a lot of time and a lot of it's not like it was back in the day where it was code and you can easily filter out these 12 ones and zeros that x things everything out nowadays 99% of your web pages are image so you're to make sure I've got this straight they're taking an emoji that looks like some human body part and they're doing an image search using that emoji to find others yep how do the kids even think about to think to do that? That's crazy. <laughs> it, it's honestly, I call them the hacker generation for a reason because they are the ones that are testing the boundaries of our security limits and really showing us how vulnerable we are. Sure. There is so much ingenuity behind these kids. They, I don't care what anybody says when they call them dumb. I'm like, no, they are a lot smarter than the world gives them credit for. Mm -hmm. They are just a lot more sneaky than the world realizes. Right. I'm feeling really behind now. I thought I was pretty tech savvy. <laughs> and it just, it all comes with trying to, you'll never stay ahead of them. The trick is every child is going to hit the tipping point eventually where they're going to know more about the tech than you will. Every mm -hmm. child will. I'm hoping mine hit it at 18, but I have to face the reality that it will probably more likely be when they're 14 years old. Mm -hmm. That's about between the ages of, of, 12 to 14 is about the time when most parents experience the tipping point where their kids know more about the tech than they do. Uh -huh. And it's truly honestly just because, not that they grew up with it, but the tech is getting easier and easier and easier. And so these kids are just looking to do whatever they want to do because they know that they know more about it than the parents do. Right. As parents, if we can get off this, I have to control everything. If we can get off of this, Thing, and we start focusing on, I need to educate my kids so they have a safe playground. Uh -huh. When they're young, we build a fortress, we lock everything down, they can't, you know, they can't touch the remotes, they can't do this. And as they slowly get the ability to use stuff, we start focusing on building the guardrails so that when they go out on their own and they can take the parental controls off, they're not totally defenseless. Yeah, okay, so the fortress for early ages and then later on, they just need to know what's right. Yeah. They need to have this idea of what's right, what's wrong, where the lines are, and understanding how their consequences are affected, which is hard to teach that to a teacher who's focused right here, right now. Right, right. So um, let's jump to cyberbullying. You did mention the scenario where I think was it texting and one girl was pouring her heart out. That seems like a bit of a cyberbullying scenario. Yeah. Um, that, was a, that was in your childhood, is that correct? Yeah, that was that. So that was before iPhones even existed, and it was a three-way phone call. So we're it was a phone call. Okay, we're, we're talking pre-texting here. When we when we still had to like count your text messages because you were charged by the letter. Yeah. Right. Right. So how does a typical cyberbullying scenario? What's that look like today? Cyberbullying, really, truly, honestly, is only mean words, and it's only by one account. The minute it crosses into multiple accounts, multiple methods, and multiple people, you're looking at criminal charges. Really? Yes. A lot of parents don't even realize this. And I did um, just back in October for Bullying Prevention Month. I went in and dove into a lot of stuff because I've been getting a lot of cases just recently with parents asking about stop, like, how do you stop cyber stalking? How do you stop this? And I'm like, well, these are laws. Why don't you know about these things? Mm -hmm. And the truth of it is, is these parents, they the government lumped it all into cyberbullying. And I looked at the government and I'm like, you guys are wrong. This is not okay to just tell everybody this is cyberbullying because they're under the age of 18. 
So for kids, the typical scenario is, we'll use Sally and Susan as an example. Say Sally likes this guy, John, and Susan likes him too, and John asks Sally. Susan will go and she'll text Sally a mean thing and ask him, you know, kind of what's going on and she'll text Sally. And so Sally will text her back because they're best friends and everything. And then Sally will take that personal information or Susan will take that personal information that Sally has given her and she will go and she'll post it online, but she won't share Sally's name to it. Or okay. she'll start doing things where the girls will start asking Susan to Sally to come to places and they'll go and there will be another place that's called ghosting. So they'll show up at, they'll say, Hey, we'll go get some yogurt at yogurt land. And then they'll all show up at the mall and they'll post the pictures of them at the mall. And Sally's asking her friends, where are you guys? I thought we were at yogurt land. And they're like, Oh, you've been ghosted. Oh, jeez. And so the, this, it's really psychological warfare and it's more with girls than with boys. Um, and it's very, very scary for these kids because they will go in and it becomes this, they'll dump stuff and they'll make one comment on a social media post and it won't even have to be negative. And if these girls don't like it, they will get themselves, their friends. And if there's only 20 of them, like there's only five friends, they will each have five social media accounts that they've made. So here's Susan and Sally having this little argument, but it's Sally getting targeted by 200 other people. Mm. So there's only 10 or 15 girls and they each got five social media accounts and they've made five other ones under another phone number and five other. And so you get into this thing where it's mean text messages. It's mean, it's revenge porn in a lot of cases where they'll take compromising photos at the over and they'll come out later or they'll take um, one of the cases that I've seen is they'll copy your social media posts and they'll start quoting them to you as a form of mockery. And oh, really? And so they'll make websites and blog posts in your names. There's um, anonymous forums where you can go and you can post. Um, one of the ones that I've seen is like with um, bad dates and uh -huh. how like, bad breakups. And they have all these sites that are anonymous where people just text in how they broke up with somebody and they take away the names and the phone numbers and they just post them on these sites. And you see that and it's very personal information. And some of them is really funny, but as a child, if that's you on there, that can become very detrimental. And so this cyberbullying crosses so many lines. So I tell parents, if it's one kid in a text message, that's just cyberbullying being mean and it's repeated more than three times in a single day for <laughs> a period of two or three days. That's cyberbullying. Anything beyond that, you need to start documenting and be careful because it enters into child pornography cases, revenge porn, defamation of character, and all these other legal lines that the minute that kid turns 18, you can go after him and send him to jail. And people don't even realize that that's the complications we're dealing with when it comes to cyberbullying. It's so vastly different. And you're starting to see it. Um, the state of Illinois actually just came out with, they're calling them deep fake laws because they are having kids come out and post things where if Sally logs into Instagram in Susan's phone, Susan can get on Sally's Instagram account and start posting things and messaging people in Sally's name. And it's not Sally and Sally sure. getting in trouble for it. Mm -hmm. You see a lot of these things happen. And so cyberbullying, really, truly, honestly, is one of those things that can be so avoided if we teach our kids how to verify that somebody is who they say they are and to understand that nothing they share online will stay private. Right.
Girls are mean. <laughs> they really are. Guys tend to be more of like the revenge porn kind of thing where they just throw it out just there. Punch each other in the face and be done with it. You know? <laughs> girls goes, go girls go for the psychology. They they mess with your mind so much to where you have kids that end up with post-traumatic stress from this. Like it's literally like they witnessed a bombing go off and they're so like they're afraid every time they open up their phone and they won't see that. I I'm blown away by what you're saying. I don't even know how to comment to that stuff. It's just, it's, it's meaner than I can imagine anyone ever doing. But Absolutely. Crazy, crazy. Wow. Okay. <laughs> um, let's jump into this. Jeez, I'm just shaking my head at that one. <laughs> uh, let's jump into social engineering with like using, I guess this would, fall into the legal category of cyberbullying, but um, I, I've seen cy cy or, um, social engineering being targeted at people that are offline by using online for grandparents, exactly. Oh, yeah. um, uh, just, what, what, do you, what do you see there? I mean, I guess I don't have to explain what I've seen. You've probably seen plenty of that. So social engineering, when you're looking at adults, it's more of other ways. And I've seen it where um, it comes in different ways. So most of us recognize it as the spam emails where you would get like, you know, oh, I have an Arabian prince uh, that uh, has a million dollars for you. You need to fill out this information, whatever. Sure. Seeing it more in like um, things like, oh, well, let's do a gift exchange. I, I need your address and this information. And you send me a gift and everybody else gets a gift and you'll get 50 gifts back. Mm -hmm. You'll see it in um, things like, oh, find out what Disney princess you are or what um, Harry Potter house you belong to and we'll steal all your information from Facebook or Snapchat or whatever. Mm -hmm. And that's the kind of things where we take this social engineering information. And in the case of kids, I can go and look at your parents' profile that's not private or they haven't done like correct research on and they posted like your name and your birth date and stuff. I can create a profile that looks exactly like your best friend and I can come in and start to just, like I can see if you're, especially in a form where I can see you're being cyber bullied, these social engineers will come in and they'll target kids and they'll say, you know, you're so pretty after they've just gotten a thousand people say that they're ugly. And uh -huh. they say, you know, don't listen to those people. You're so pretty. And they start grooming these kids that have low self-esteem that are doing these things and they use that information to either exchange for um, child pornographic photos or things or information on their other friends. Yeah. And we do it all in the pretense that we are now best friends. Sure. Yeah, I've seen, um, well, you know, it seems like there's solutions coming. I know in the, in the cryptography world, there are apps that exist now, which are identity apps. Which yeah. you can you can prove yourself at at various levels of proof that you get into, and it, it would seem to me that that I mean it, that technology exists that it, it shouldn't be that hard for the social media platforms to implement it. But it, it, not, the social media platforms have a hard time implementing it when it comes to everybody being allowed to post whatever they want. Sure, but at least as far as identity, I mean. Yeah, identity is that way. However, what we're seeing a lot of too is kids are willingly giving up their information mm -hmm. um, where they will, you know, I mean, I've had kids where it's like, I've seen the ads come up for a free iPad or a free iPhone or things like that. And they will fill out that information in a heartbeat and they don't understand the implications of that until 
they're done, there's a search done on them and they find out that they've got identity theft and 30 or $40,000 in debt and all these things. And they're, right. they're like, whatever. And so for a lot of these kids, this social engineering that we're seeing with people is it's really about teaching them how to use their information and what's okay to post online and what's not to post. And a lot of kids, what I've seen is like text messages with social engineering. They'll text them and say, because we know, you know, you'll tag your location, you'll tag where you shop, you'll tag the stores that you shop at. And then what you'll do is we'll look at that and we'll say, okay, perfect. So I'll send you a little text that's from ICU Bank at Wells Fargo. I'll send you a text that says your Wells Fargo account um, has an uh, unattempted breach on it and they'll respond back. Yeah. And so you can fill out that information where you'll see yep. like- Those are phishing type. Phishing type things, absolutely. Yeah. You'll see, um, I've seen people call up, like take your phone number because your phone number stored on social media and you can search by phone number. Yeah. So there was a big thing going around several months ago with teenagers where they were doing um, neighbor phone numbers. And so they would, you know, like if your number ends in one, two, three, four, they would text one, two, three, two and one, two, three, five. Mm -hmm. And they'd be like, hey, I'm your neighbor number. And so you start these conversations and you find out information about these people, kind of like what's their name, what's their birthday, things like that. Yeah. And now I can take that information and go and create an account or I can go and like stalk them and do things like that or I can post it on a forum place on the dark net and make money from it. Sure, sure. I had no idea that they were part of this intricate thing that it was like, dude, that was devious and crazy that people were doing that. Yeah, yeah. I've, se I've seen a lot of how those scenarios, I, I actually, my wife walked into her mother's, they, so the scenario was is that they had gone through like the grandchildren's social profiles, found out, you know, their name, their girlfriend's name, where they were going that day and whatever other information to personalize it, calls up the grandparent, says your grandchild has just been in an accident, they're in the hospital, send me this money right now to get the operation or they're gonna die. And they've got all this information that is quite convincing yeah. that, that they've gathered and so what's you know interesting to me is that just by being loose with your information you're you can actually endanger other people absolutely and uh one of the things that i've done because we've been targeted before with grandparents is i lock their phones out i make it so that if you're not in their contact list they can't contact you mm-hmm and that's how I protected several of my grandparents. One of the recent social engineering scams that I've seen that I thought was really ridiculous is uh, these FedEx drivers came up to a house and pretended um, that they couldn't deliver a package unless a payment was made. Um, uh, that there was like an additional charge. Um, they called it a cash on delivery thing, a COD thing. Uh -huh. And so the victim, not really understanding what was going on, knowing that this package was really needed and having it already been not dropped off twice because they wouldn't drop it off because they couldn't or whatever these guys refused to deliver the package and there was another guy and he's like no i'm showing him how to do this this is like a new thing and so she gave him the money they didn't cash the check because they had everything they needed there so they just committed fraud through the check mm -hmm. and still trying to prove that and so these scams that we're seeing with social engineering it's really preying on our ability to trust people and sure this thing like i need this package well you're not going to deliver it to me well i paid for it i'm going to call the cops and file a case or things like that 
So for us, it's a matter of asking questions. And like my grandpa is really famous for doing this. Um, every time we answer the phone, he will say, grandpa, this is Chelsea. No, Chelsea who? This is your granddaughter from this child, from this, like you have to go through the family history. And then he'll say, okay, and what were you doing today? What were you calling me about? And then he'll ask, and he, he is so good at going through these questions that by the time these guys get through his like stuff and he, like, I'm not kidding. It takes us five to 10 minutes before we start having a conversation with him. That's awesome. I love it. <laughs> he's so, and it's, he's just been trained that way. And he has trained my grandma that way to do a lot of things, but my grandma will still trust after so many points. And he's more, I don't trust you until I can 110% verify you. Like you have to know more than just the kids' names and the, and the things like that. And that's why as children, we have to be really careful what we post online because you can use that social engineering, that information for so many things. Even one of the things that we've seen is with filling out stuff like on LinkedIn or Indeed or Monster or just, you know, going and searching out for a job. What do you put there? Your entire resume history. Sure. You, you fill out, you know, your job and all of these things because they're trying to match you to these things but they don't keep that information private because other people who have accounts to that can search you. So when I find out that you've gotten hired or that you're looking for a job, I can easily recruit you into something that you have no idea is totally illegal mm -hmm. or use that information to infiltrate. Um, several companies got infiltrated through LinkedIn because they created a fake CEO profile and the CEO contacted several of the employees asking for certain types of information that the employees just gave them. Sure. So you're seeing these types of things and it's not just limited to here, it's through dating apps, it's through social media, it's through actual job certifications, it's through um, networking businesses. I've seen businesses targeted because they're collaborating with other influencers or other um, business relationships and things like that. And those are the kinds of things that we have to be paying attention to and that we have to really be making sure that they're um, working through because if we're not training ourselves in looking for these types of things, social engineering is going to be the Achilles heel of us because a criminal can get your phone number. And if they just stalk your social media profile and learn a few things about you, even if yours is private, I know that one of the things I've done is I've gone in and secured all of my relatives that aren't super tech savvy sure. because I don't want my information leaked through them. Yep. And so I've gone through them and just done that and just looking at things like, knowing when you get a friend request from somebody on Facebook, if it comes up and it says add or not, you should know automatically go and check and see if you're friends first. If you're already friends with that person, why would you be getting a message that says you need to add or request them? Good Just point. Doing these little tricks and doing that extra due diligence can protect us from a lot of things and teaching our kids to do this is something that a lot of schools are really failing with teaching our kids because they're just not understanding the amount of work required to kind of stay on top of all this stuff right right and i don't think many people realize the the power of data aggregation and just how how people can do it like you're talking about through phishing or just aggregating just by looking at profiles or through companies and you know i know there's an article that the dmv selling data that we think is is private um you know i this is probably a a really complicated but simple sounding question, but you think privacy is a right? <laughs> I think the problem lies in what is considered privacy and what is not considered privacy. Because there's sure. things that I feel like as a society we're okay with. We're okay with when we use a coupon app 
to know that the products that we purchased are probably going to generate ads to us. We're okay with when we use that coupon, they're generating engaging market research. Is this performing well? Do people like this? You know, whatever. I feel like there's information like that where we're like, we're okay with them collecting that. But when it comes to certain types of information, we're like, no. But because we haven't drawn the line between what is acceptable to collect and what is not acceptable to collect, privacy becomes this gray water where most companies are trying to, because they're like a market research company. Well, my client wants that information because they want to know who they're targeting and who's buying their products. So they want to know your age. They want to know your weight. They want to know your height, your color, your all these things, because I can plug that into an AI algorithm and I can print their ideal client and then I can make a really good ad that's going to return them a really good investment. So sure. knowing those things is good, but am I planning on selling that? No, but am I doing a whole lot to secure it? No, because I don't see it relevant. And so that's where a lot of, I feel like the privacy gray lines kind of are blurred is because there's, there is this aspect of, but I need it for this. Well, it's beneficial to both parties. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. And so that's where a lot of it becomes, as long as it's being used legitimately, we're fine. The minimum it's not, we are not okay with it. So we then, understand these so then at that point, so this company say has aggregated this data, then are you saying that they have a responsibility to protect it at that point? Oh, absolutely. And there are laws that actually, um, like the state of California has laws protecting it. Most states have laws that are really hewn down. If you're doing any business in Europe and you're a business, they're gonna slap you with a lot of stuff. They'll even ban your site from being searchable in their countries if they know that you're not collecting the data properly and securing it properly. Because oh, really? they're, they're, exactly, they're very forward thinking about those types of things. But here in the US, we're more about free commerce and business and we like our freedom. Well, I know we just had to, I, I know that the European countries are policing through the bank systems. We just had to refactor all of our uh, checkouts because if we didn't use their new, um, I forget what it's called, 3D system. Yes. Yeah, that uh, they're gonna, the banks would, would not let them buy from us. Yeah. And it's, where... it's something that we kind of have to stay on top of. And that's where I feel like the data battle is, is what is considered okay to harvest and what is considered not okay to harvest. And okay, so, so what you were talking about, about say that, that company that was aggregating that data, they're not only harvesting, but they're aggregating it. And when it's aggregated, that's essentially new information. Right. And so did I hear you right in saying that essentially that you would say that proper use of that information, it's okay to do so, but then use it properly and keep it safe. Is that kind of your? Yeah, absolutely. And I feel like too, as long as we're aware, that's one of the things with the privacy laws that are in effect now is you have to make your consumer aware. If your consumer refuses to read the privacy policy, that's on them. Sure. So you have to kind of look at what they've got and what they're doing too. A lot of companies, if you look into, um, I know parents ask me all the time, well, why are the free ads on the apps that my kids play so disgusting or whatever? And I will look at the parents and I'll say, well, did you go and look at their privacy policy? And so we go in and we look at it and it turns out they're actually selling that information about their child to this company. And so we have these conversations about how to block it, how to do those things, because I tell them that's how they're making their money. Free is not free. They're no. either selling data or they're buying advertising space. And who's going to buy advertising space? Most of the time in those cases, it's people that are 
either fronts for dark companies or just they're looking to steal information from kids and use them in a different way. So we have to really look at these things and how they're used. So as a company, if we're protecting the data, if we're doing our due diligence, if we're making sure that everything is locked down tight, then there's really not reason for alarm. But the problem comes, everything gets hackable at some point. And so sure. it becomes, how far do you want to go with that information? I don't collect a whole lot of information from my clients just because I get really nervous just collecting names and emails because I know what you can do with that kind of information. Right. You, me, you... I make sure it's all locked up. It's encrypted. There's a backup of it in one spot and that is encrypted and it's only known to me. It's not known to anybody else and nobody knows that I back it up on that site. And yeah. that's, and making sure that, you know, if, if you can remove just like the general logos of things, simple things like that that you're doing, not knowing who your marketing company is, not knowing who your employees are, not knowing the inner workings of your business can protect a lot of that information from accidentally getting leaked. I see, okay, great. Uh, let's jump to kind of some of the spooky stuff. Um, I've noticed, for example, weird stuff like ads that there's just no way that I can figure that ad, that ad could have been delivered for me except for my phone listening. For example, I was uh, getting my hair cut and there was a, the, the video playing was Patagonia. And I said, oh, look, Patagonia. And then I go home and Facebook's got Patagonia clothing ads on me. I'm like there was no, nothing, no device around unless there was something in the hair salon that I did, didn't know about other than my phone in my pocket. I had the same thing with uh, a phone protector. I was watching a video and it mentioned, don't put your phone next to your, you know, in your pocket because of your reproductive organs can be damaged through the radiation. Get home. There's a phone, pro phone protect. I didn't even say it. It was playing on something that I was near. <laughs> phone protector, put this radiation cover on your phone, add running on there. My, um, I got retargeted for an ad this actually happened to be a friend of mine's company. So I was able to, to call him and ask why you're retargeting me for this ad. And because it didn't make sense. And he said, that ad is only targeted to people in Seattle. I'm in California. My wife was traveling in Seattle that week. <laughs> so huh. like, I mean, just bizarre things that just seems like they're only coming through listening to that phone. A lot of it is with the microphone. They have like, especially if you have a Google phone, they listen for those things and they sell it off. That's how they make pennies on their advertising budgets. And so they'll sell things off to Facebook, to their ad companies and stuff. And they're all kind of integrated in the ad platform that they're using. So, most so it's Google. It's in the TOS somewhere that they're actually doing that. Yeah, and you can disable that. I've, I go in and disable my microphones all the time just so that they're there. But you can also do it off of like um, your location status. That's one of the reasons why I tell people to keep their location private because you will get targeted ads for things like that. You will get um, your Google search history is shared. Sure. Um, and not just that, but also like in Siri, people don't realize that Siri does the same thing as Google. So your Siri search engines will share it. Mozilla is kind of one of the more private ones. They don't tend to share as much. Go, go, uh, no, it's. Duck, duck, go. Yes, that's the one. I'm like, I always say it wrong. Duck, duck, go is really private about their stuff. They tend to erase everything. 
But these are the things that you're kind of dealing with is any search that you do, any app that you leave, because even leaving an app open and running, so even if you have like Facebook only has the microphone enabled when it's running, if it's running in your pocket in the background because you didn't properly exit out of it, it's still collecting that data and that information that you don't think okay. about. Right. Uh, and of uh, course, they're going to try and make sure that's running as much as possible then, right? Absolutely. So you can go into um, all of our phones and devices have specific app settings. So you don't go to the app itself. You go to your app settings in the phone settings and Apple and Android are pretty much the same way. You can just search it and then mm -hmm. you, you'll see a list of apps. Apple has it at the bottom. Google has it in their own separate um, app section, depending on which version of the phone you use for Android. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so all you have to do is in Android, you click on the app and you'll see a whole list of things that they're allowed and you just turn them off, whichever ones you don't want. Um, Apple has the same aspect, but you have to, again, click on the app and it'll pull up certain things and you have to disable it. And Apple, sometimes it's buried in two different things. So you'll see it in the app um, listed in the settings section, but then you'll also see it in like privacy and restrictions, or it'll pop up under like passwords and things. And so you have to kind of play with it a little bit to see where it's at. Like your location settings for the apps aren't controlled in the app settings itself. You have to go to your location settings in Apple to change those. Right, right. It's all, and it's all a matter of, you know, a lot of that stuff is convenient. It's convenient to be targeted with the right things at the right time, but then Absolutely. Absolutely. It's convenient to walk into Target and know that you're purchasing something and you're getting, there's a 15% off coupon for it. You know, that that's very convenient. It's right. convenient when you're going and picking up something and trying to match the prices online and you've got to go in and turn off your location settings to make sure that you get the right things. Right. Yeah. That's, which brings me to the next question as far as targeting within stores. Um, is that going on through the GPS or what's going on with like RFID chips? Or is there even like phone fingerprinting going on there to make that happen? Well, with the stores, there's two ways they can do it. They can do it through their actual apps um, that are, you have downloaded or using. If you have a store account there, they can recognize the card and scan the card when it comes in and pull up your past purchases and create stuff there. Mm -hmm. Or if you're using the store Wi-Fi, that's one of the reasons a lot of stores offer free Wi-Fi is because then they can target what you're doing on the Wi-Fi and can they specifically target where you are in the store through the Wi-Fi? Yeah, you can triangulate it. Um, it just- You've got a couple of routers. Yeah, it depends on how many routers you have, how many signals you have. I mean, you can, I can pinpoint in my house on my own router where my stuff is. Okay. So it's a matter of learning these types of things and learning about the devices. And again, for a store, it's very convenient, but if you're a criminal and you break into that stuff, that's a lot of data that's private and personal that you can do and track somebody's location. It's um, kind of like, I've done stalking cases before. And one of the things that I told um, my client was, you need to make sure that you stop checking in everywhere you go and start checking in opposite sides of town. You need to create a new location link because this person is following you and they think that they know where you live because you can triangulate all these things and you can target it down to a specific point. Well, I just saw a technique the other day about finding where somebody lives through their, through their router. Yeah. So the web, there's actually a website where you can go and figure it out. Yeah, you can type in um, their IP address and do a reverse IP lookup. That's been around for a long time. Right. There was, um, it was beyond that. I can't remember what, and I can't remember the name of the website, but they were, um, they were tracking when your phone connected to stores and then when that phone connected to your home Wi-Fi and being able to 
Find. Yeah, you could totally. I hadn't thought about doing it that way, but you could totally do it that way. Yeah. yeah Going so. by the history and the phone and just tra triangulating it through. You could. You wouldn't even have to do it through a social media app. You could do it through something really simple, like just actually doing their history and tracking it that way. Yep, it was exactly what they're doing. They go into Starbucks. It connects. They know. You know, they're seeing that track, and then when they go home, they know it connects. They can find it. I actually looked up my own to see my own on there because I, I my wife and I are privacy freaks. <laughs> and we've we've had reason to be in the past. We've had some bad experiences where and, and so being private privacy is um i consider a responsibility to keep yourself safe but yeah. fortunately my house is far enough off the road that nobody has ever picked up the the wi-fi and so it's not on there but i can notice i was checking out people that i know and like oh there's 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 you can just find everything Absolutely. And it's one of the ways that if kids know about that, like one of the things that I saw on our school sites um, here in Nevada was they have a site listed of free Wi-Fi hotspots for the kids to go do their homework on. And, uh -huh. I that and I was like, if I was a kid and I had parental restrictions and I didn't want them on there, that's where I would go. Sure. Absolutely. And if I was a pedophile or a criminal and I was looking to abduct a child or target them, I would just go to those Wi-Fi connections and look at the kids' devices and see connected and posting on social media when and yep. go you could track them absolutely minute by minute yeah yeah it's really that dangerous okay bunch of scary stuff <laughs> the, uh, the story is turn on your security settings and don't use wi-fi that's not your home wi-fi uh, okay yeah yeah so, so the more of a um security geek you become the more do you stay away from yeah devices yeah i can i i know there's a meme floating around about you know like all the latest and greatest uh gadgets and then there's like the crypto guy using the nokia phone from this from the 90s and that's all they'll use you know what if i could get a hold of one of those phones we would use it i know guys that work in places we can't really talk about and they'll they'll tell you right now they buy computers and they completely poke pins and needles through all of the cameras and the stuff so they can't be taken over oh really yeah yeah, yeah. And they, they'll tell you right now old school right now you can't hack paper <laughs> yeah, yeah you can't hack paper you can't hack the vhs tapes for surveillance or things like that it's really hard to hack those things because everybody's going digital so if you can get your stuff a hold of that updating is the security guy's biggest kryptonite <laughs> wow yeah okay all right so let's talk about um you have like a download on your site on your site, the Safe Virtual Playground. Can you just give us a quick rundown of that? Yeah, it's a, kind of a, if you think about it, it's a simplified security plan for parents. So you go through the book and it's about coming up with a purpose for your technology, talking about like you take your values that you have in your home and then you transfer those into what they would look like online, you know, kind of like what honesty looks like online, what um, virtue, true, things like that, fake versus not. And then it walks you through kind of how to set it up and have these discussions with your kids. So you set up, I call them tech zones, where there's a place for technology that's allowed and places that it's not allowed. And we talk about there's questions and scenarios that you can kind of consider, like 
you know, what are you going to do with a family vacation? Or if you're going on an airplane ride, that's 15 hours long. Is that really going to be a no tech zone because you're traveling and it's whatever. Sure. And so it gives you these ideas of how to implement it as a parent. And then um, the part that most of the people really enjoy is the redemption plan, which talks about creating rules for your kids. So we sure. break it down and we say, there's a rule and then there's a consequence because that's a natural thing. And we make them mostly natural consequences. So like if you are taking, you know, the internet advantage and you're hacking passwords and stuff, we're going to limit your internet access and you're going to be responsible for educating us on why that's bad. And the process to earn the internet privilege back is the redemption plan, which is what a lot of parents like, because that's what kids need the most is we need to learn how to recover from our mistakes. So we talk about, you know, how to recover from a bad post online and what that looks like for our kids, you know, is the consequence okay that they posted something and it had bad negative consequences and now they have to learn how to post better things. Or um, one of the big things that I deal with is sexting and talking to strangers. And so we have lessons where they have to, you know, take appropriate pictures for a while before they can earn the camera back on their phone or things like that. And just being able to break it down, it's just a guidebook of how parents can guide their kids through this technology age without relying solely on parental controls and figures and things like that, that are so useful, but really ineffective in parenting as your kids get older, because those are eventually going to go away. Right, right. So it's a, a new aspect of parenting. So, and that is, those are available as free downloads on your site. Is that correct? Yes, I have, I have free downloads and then there's um, a payable option that kind of comes with everything included. So it's got like different screen time plans, evaluations to talk to your kids, kind of like different meetings to have with them, questions. Um, a lot of the stuff that I give is free just because I feel like parents are so needing this information that they just need access. Sure. And, and then also, am I correct? Do you do consultations as well? Yes, I do consultations for um, security consulting as well as um, parent group coaching um, with kind of helping them navigate through specific scenarios and things like that. Okay, yeah, I think if I had a, a young child today, I would definitely want to hire you to, even even being tech, fairly tech savvy myself, I'd, uh, that would be uh, I, something very necessary in today's parenting world, it seems. Yes. Yes. Anything, I know there's actually, a, a lot more to this but we've covered so much that people are probably spinning in their heads right now is there anything really important that we have not covered that you want to the only thing that i would leave on is don't be overwhelmed by the amount of information that you find okay. start with what you know uh -huh. so work on you know like if you know your kid's gonna get a device or that you're gonna get a device whether it's like a new phone or you're gonna upgrade to maybe a new software platform or you're downloading an app, start there. Start with learning those things and then start with learning about what you have. Like if you have a certain social media app and learning how to secure that before you add anything else. Because if you try and go and do all the stuff that we talked about today, you're gonna to be overwhelmed and frustrated and hate life. Mm -hmm. Start with what you have and you just start with one thing at a time. Once you lay the security foundation, everything else is really easy to build on. And that's where parents, I feel, really just get overwhelmed with it. And I just tell them, just start with what you know. Just start there and build on it. Start small steps. Kaizen, right? The yep. small improvements over time. Excellent. Very good. And where can people find you, your website? My website is called digitalmomtalk.com. Okay, fantastic. All right. Thank you, Chelsea. This has been a fantastic talk. I learned a lot, I'm sure. Uh, the listeners will learn a lot from this. Uh, thanks again for coming on.
Well, thank you so much for having me, Phil. I appreciate it. Great. It's been fun. Thank you for listening to the Learning Success Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We also hope you have learned something useful, something that you can take back and improve your life with today. If you would like to say thank you, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast with a friend. Help us help others along this journey. And if you haven't already, please rate and comment on the podcast. Every rating helps us and helps this podcast get out to more people. We appreciate it and we appreciate you. Thank you again and make today a great day. No one should have to live with a learning difficulty.